Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast here with Benji Nass. And for the Boar Hands Grower preview 2022 preview, yes, we have some January Mallorcan races, but they don't move the needle for a lot of these big teams, which we have left, including Bora, Yamba, Visma, etc. And so we're not out of time. We've got, got the Bora preview here. We also have an interview with Matt Walds, who had an incredible Neo Pro season that kind of went under the radar, even amongst his British compatriots in this episode. And separately to this, somewhat related, we have an interview with Yanto Barker, which is separate, the uh, founder of Lokol, our show partner, and who, relevant to Bora Hansgrohe, have a back in the world tour as the apparel provider for Bora Hansgrohe in 2022. So I have an interview with him where we discuss things like, why did you want to come back into the world tour? Some businessy stuff uh, that I always personally am interested in. But Benji, I was bullied, harassed, harangued, shamed by our own audience regarding my hair. Clearly fixed it. Yeah, that's all I have to say. I feel like, should I have just not bowed to the peer pressure and gone full mullet again? It is good for the algorithm. Yeah, I think it was good because uh, people were commenting on it. So it brought engagement. But in all honesty, uh, it looks better now, let's be honest. So it looks a bit more professional, even though we're not the most professional podcast in the business. <laughs> I actually think we are. Um, I, I reckon we are pretty professional. Anyway, we'll do the usual. We'll recap their 2021 season, Bora Hansgrohe do their transfers briefly, talk about what to expect in 2022, uh, and then some hot takes, etc. Obviously, there's been some uh, schedule announcements, so we will factor them in. Also want to let you all know that we have a big announcement dropping tomorrow, uh, primarily probably on our Twitter in the first instance, at Lantern Rouge CP, that will affect the podcast for the entire year. So, just teasing that, that if you want to see that announcement, that's where it will be, but we'll also put it across the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast YouTube channel, etc. But getting into that now, their 2021 season, Benji, top five in the tour with Kelderman, pretty good. Bookman crashed out of the Giro, who's going to be their GC man there. Eight World Tour wins, two Tour de France stage wins, both from the break with Conrad and Pollitt, who actually both men who do not win much, like frequently, and then a Giro win with Sagan. Sagan also won at Romedy and Catalonia. So pretty good season with eight, eight World Tour wins and then 30 overall wins with a lot at sort of Sibiu and other smaller races. How, how would you rate it, noting the Bookman-Giro crash where he probably would have topped five or six, one would think? I'm saying on par. I'm not going to say that it's the best season they've ever had. It's not the best season they've ever had. And uh, I think it's just an... An average to good year, because yes, they're getting to uh, Tour de France stage wins. I'd like to have seen at least a stage win in the Vuelta, and perhaps they they had one at the Giro, but I kind of feel like five stage wins in Grand Tours would fit more in Bora's category with the riders they had. Yes, Sigan didn't have the best preparation at the start of the season either. I'm pretty sure he had 
COVID at the start of the season last year, just like yes. at the start of this year's season. So not the best uh, preparation for the season for sure. But I think that Akamon underperformed, let's be honest about it. And he had then tried to uh, beat people in the uh, kindergarten races like Settimana Ciclista Italiana and Sibiu Cycling Tour, for example. So that's... Um, yeah, that's an easy way to get victories when you're one of the, or was one of the best sprinters in the world before you had a bad season. But like you said, Amatu Walls at the start, definitely a, a strong rider and not necessarily the rider that we would have said at the start of the season that was going to take two pro wins for the team, for example. You also saw Jordi Meus trying to grow up a bit more, getting a victory at Tour de Hungary, for example. And just the youngsters starting to get victories too. I think that while Paulit is not the most entertaining rider when it comes to his victories like the Tour de France stage where he won it's not the most entertaining stage of the Tour de France let's be honest but he does it he wins stages and he does so in the Tour de France he does so in the Deutschland Tour winning the Deutschland Tour obviously that's not the most entertaining race either but I guess there's a pattern there <laughs> but uh what's your take on their season also on par I think so I mean it might have been, looked a bit better with Buchmann not crashing out and also Leonard Kamner who's maybe like one of them Top three talented guy on the team, incredibly talented, looked good at Catalonia, won a state, won stage five there out of the break after a Tour de France breakout and Dauphiné breakout in 2020. He was unwell in, in 2021, and I understand it's coming back, uh, even according to PCS, at Saudi in a few days. So that's really good to see. 25-year-old German, Leonard Kemner, obviously. Soft spot for Leonard Kemner, obviously, and he's back. So that's really encouraging. But... Ackerman Benji, yeah, the the fallout and Rudiger's it's a really it's one of the biggest transitions for Hansgrohe undergoing of any team, yeah. I think, in World Tour. The Saganier is gone. Sagan's gone with Oss and uh Juraj to uh Total Energies, and then the sprint train is gone. Ackerman plus Zelig and Schwarzman, those guys are off to Lotto and UAE. So huge transition there. And the thing about it is that they're ditching a sprint train and then they get sam bennett as their new sprinter and they have to get a lead out again <laughs> yeah. but they get another one do you think that uh we've spoken about the transfers before i think we should low-key mention them for certain once again sam bennett van poppel and when it comes to the rest of that sprint train archbolt and mullen i think are the riders that fit in that train do you think that's a good change from the riders like zelig ackerman to bennett archbolt and van poppel I mean, Zelig and Schwarzman weren't performing. Well, particularly Schwarzman, Zelig, okay, at Deutschland. So, I don't know. It's not like it's coming from Merku to these ones. But, yeah, it's, they even have already put out a press releases where Van Poppel or someone was saying, oh, you should, you know, we're going to have to wait until the uh, until it's all clicking, you know, with, with Bennett. Van Poppel, I think, could be a good lead-out man. He's a pretty, he's a pretty good rider, but um, it's not a top lead-out. So... No, there's problems there I'm already foreseeing. In terms of climbing then, we have, uh, and yes, we did a full Bora transfer reaction back in several months ago, but just as Benji said for clarity, Vlasov, talented Russian who fourth zero, a better 2020 season from Astana. Agita from EF, who's had actually a bit of a underperformed last 18 months or so, although crashed in the tour. Jai Hindley from DSM after his Euro podium and stage win. Those three is such an odd combination. I've already said it, Benji, but they kind of all do the same thing, except Fegita. But Vlasov, Ihinli, Buchmann, Kelderman, they're all that second or third tier GC guy. None of them win World Tour GC races, uh, I think, 
ever with any real at all. Um, not a lot of wins there. And it's sort of at odds with what Ralph Dink has said before about you should, this is a superstar league like the NBA, signing big names like Sagan. Who do you think will be the top guy out of those, out of their GC guys, the four or five they have? I think the problem there is, I would say that Vlasov is their top guy of the riders that they have. But the thing there is that they're going to send them to the Tour de France, which means that he won't get the top result of the riders that they have. Because I think if you send, point. let's say, Vlasov to the Giro, he will probably get top five again, perhaps fight for the podium, and as a consequence, come out with a good result and be seen as a top guy. But if he goes to the Tour de France, then a podium is going to be very difficult against the riders that are lining up there. So I think it's a difficult thing to look at. I'm just curious how they're going to set up their season. And I've already uh, spotted that. They said that they wanted to send the... Uh, Bennett trained to the Tour de France and Vlasov to the Tour de France as well. And then that indeed makes it makes sense. But on the other hand, it's like, okay, yeah, Vlasov, well, I don't think he's going to put him the Tour de France that easily, you know? Yeah. And his climbing really took a step back last year, although his TT improved. As Benny said, the Giro team, though, they're sending the combo of Hindley and Kelderman again, who maybe Wilco's not that excited to see Hindley back after that DSM Giro. <laughs> They're going to the Giro with Buchmann. Uh, I don't know. I, I think Kelderman's the best of those three. Kelderman's been very unlucky with crashes, but then there's no TTKs. I don't know. It's it's interesting. Igita, on the other hand, who broke onto the scene with a Vuelta stage win back in 2019 and uh, second on GC at California when he was, I think, like 21 or something. He struggled in some of the harder stages, uh, as a tour particularly, in that first week. And then he came good, actually, was quite good at the back end of the tour, but it was a bit late then. And uh, hasn't won for for quite a while, despite being very fast for someone. Yeah. I know, he's fast. Maybe he beat Bala in a sprint or something? Yeah, but then again, Bala has not always been the fastest in the last years. But I agree, he's definitely a fast man, and we've seen it on multiple finishes. But he always comes like 2% or 1% short of the victory, and he's always in like strong breakaways that make it, but he's not always the strongest in that breakaway. And I would have liked to see him line up for both the Giro and the Velta, but apparently he's only lining up for the Velta as he's being sent to the Hill Classics, which I kind of understand. But um, we're talking about a lot of like schedules right now, but let's talk about a schedule that is not well settled yet. Let's talk about an area of expertise for this team that I'm looking at and I'm, I'm like, okay, on paper they got weaker there, but have they? What do you think their cobble squad is going to be? Uh, well, that's the transfer. It's Marco Haller and Jonas Koch. These are the two men that Benji's, I think, alluding to. They, they've they come in from Bahrain and into Marche, Austrian and a German. Hal was very, very good for Bahrain, the cobble races. Yeah. And I think that's that's one of two of the, the men. Then there's Niels Perlet, obviously. That's sort of their main leader, I thought, particularly in something like Roubaix. Perstelberger for some of them. Martin Lass, no. I, you're, right, you're asking the good question, Benji, in that, who is their Gent Weibelchem sprinter? Oh, we saw that last year Bennett got over the climbs and again to Weibelchem. Will they try that again? That's the question that I'm looking at. Is he not going? Okay. Well, then uh, Jordi Meus, I think, 
could be an option. Is he going to Gendwebelgem? He is. So that might be the option there. And I heard that Jordi Mez is going to be focusing more on the couple races as well. I'm curious how far he can get that because at the end of last season, Jordi Mez had a, a bit of a Danny Van Poppel moment where the last months he got third at Hoixepel, second at Grand Prix de Denain, which had a lot of cobbles, second at Eurometer Pole Tour, winning the Paris Bourges race. Like, that's solid racing. And I'm curious if that's going to grow out in a classics type sprinter more than a uh, pure sprinter. I see the option, but I need to see it first, I think. No, I agree. I think you're really onto something there. You look at the back end of his year. It was his Neo Pro year, by the way, last year, Jordi Maus. He struggled in some of the hillier stage races, of which he was sent to a lot of. And to not whenever he did any any classics, he half the time he got a top seven result. Even his fourth race at Denilith Nikirakus, that came fourth dot pro race. And then the back end of the year was very good. So yes, I think him and Van Poppel and Haller and Koch and Pollard, it's it's not a bad squad. There's just not a there's not a tier. Would you say I wouldn't say Pollard's a tier A guy for like RVV no, or I don't just, think so. just Roubaix maybe. Um, what about the last couple of signings, Benji? Uh, before we get on to uh, a big question that we sort of have been dancing around. Utterbrooks, Sean Utterbrooks, the next Remco, Belgian. He signed for them for three years at 18 years old. He's about to turn 19 in a month. I have a view on this, and I want to hear yours first. Okay. A, I don't. Do you think this is too early? Like this 18, I don't see it. Kian Utterbrooks, that's how you, I think, properly pronounce it. Just wanted to throw that in there. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's completely different to what you said. But uh, this man is a writer that... I believe is talented and in the last weekend, which was uh, the Mallorca races, has shown that, in my opinion, he deserves to be on a World Tour team with the abilities that he has. Because he was arguably the third strongest rider on Bora in those races. Now, is it too early? Well, Bora has the thing where they have to choose between two things. They start off on their... uh, Team Auto Eder Bayer uh, junior team, and then you've got the Bora team. You don't have a U23 team for Bora, I think. So if they had a U23 team, perhaps he would be in there right now. But they don't have that, so they have to make the change because he's too strong to be in their junior team. And I think he's better off in their World Tour team, even though it might still be early, you know? Yeah, I think Remco is the exception, and generally, like Utterbrook's results are not Remco's results where it's yeah. like this guy can immediately step up to world tour but Benji makes it the, the point that okay there's there's no U23 team they can get him on their equipment they can get him in the team setup they can he he personally can be earning a bit more money straight away and his schedule looks like a, a hard U23 schedule there's no world tour races that I can see at all it's like Saudi yeah. Almeria Form, I think that's Drone. good Setimana, Benji already mentioned, you know, is, is a U23 style race. Like a lot of the Yumbo U23 goes there, U23s go there and Lavanier. But yeah, I think some like Brenner, it's not seeming to be working out that well, Benji. Although he gets sent to he got sent to World Tour races. So yeah, I think I'm not expecting too much from him this year. I don't expect him to start winning every race that he rides quite certainly, like you mentioned. I think that he might pop up in longer breakaways or in a race where he might be attacking from the peloton and something might happen there. Like, 
he was very active in those Mallorca challenges that just happened. And that gives me hope that it might be more than just a young rider on that team and that he can actually do some stuff in the races that he rides in. I don't see him winning every single one like you mentioned. So I'm I'm kind of on board with you, but I, I'm slightly more positive where I think that, yeah, I think the logic is just there where he's too strong for the junior team. So they have to put him in their Bora team and they can't put him in the U23 team because otherwise someone else is going to... And Brenner got poached. Yeah, exactly. There, He's a DCM. DSM, DCM. <laughs> it's basically a PCM development team. To the same way. So I forgive you for that Freudian slip, Benji. Last rider they signed is uh, Joe uh, Luers, who's a young German. He, he's he's more an example of what I'm, I'm like. This guy could really do some more time at U23. Like he's 19. His 2021 results are like they're quite good, but he he hasn't. He didn't win. He won one race, a two-one at U20 at juniors or U23. So, yeah, I'll see how he goes. Three-year deal there. He will be paired a lot with uh, the next Remco. Anyway, it's enough on their transfers. Before we get into the the big question, I want to mention our show partner, Lacole, who, as I said this year, returned to the UCI World Tour with Bora Hansgrohe. They've spent the past year putting together a world-beating package of kit and includes the fastest skin suits and speed suits harnessing technology from their Project Aero collaboration with world-leading aerodynamics experts, McLaren. And they kind of went a bit bold with it, Benji. Uh, Their kit, it's been well-received. If you want to check that kit out, by the way, it is available on LaCole's website at www.lacole.cc, the link down below, and you can get 20% off with our code, all caps, LRCP2022. Okay, Benji, the big question, how much do we think Bora Hansgrohe will miss Peter Sagan with his transfer to Total Energies? I believe that they're going to miss him. Let's be honest about it. He was a big guy when it comes to his uh, his stature in the team and his marketing exposure for uh, the outside world. And then we look at his results and you have to be honest, they've gone down in the last while. Like if you look at, the last five years, the last year was definitely not the strongest of Sagan's career, which is an obvious thing to happen. Now, looking at 2021 in total, he still won, I think, was it three Walter wins, Romandy, Catalonia, and in the Giro, yes, and yep. eventually took Chiclamino home as well. So that's of value for a team, quite certainly. But then the question is, is it worth the money that a team is paying for him? And... Would it not be a better idea to invest in the future? And that's where I think the decision was made. I think the decision was made on, we have Sagan for the next two, three years, but perhaps we should invest that money in trying to make sure we have a future rider that gets top results. Does that make sense? I get that. I get that. I don't agree with it. I think Sagan is still really good like fourth at MSR after just passing COVID, apparently. As Benji said, you know, people don't just rock, you know, just pick a random guy off the street to win Chiclamino on a stage. Um, Nitolo's been trying to win a Giro stage and just did for eight years or something. <laughs> he has, and now to talk about the commercials, 1.9 million Instagram followers, million fa- plus Facebook followers, probably a million Twitter followers. And... This sport is about exposure for your commercial partners. 
that's how the World Tour teams bring in money. And you look at Vlasov, Igit, even Igita for a Colombian, not that many Instagram followers, but Vlasov, Hindley, Kelderman. It's a, it's a digital media disaster. So, yeah, I think they'll miss him a lot. And I think it's it's very hard to, when you when you get to the end of the year and you look at how much reach did we get, how many times did our kit get shown on TV, on digital media, how many times were our brands seen in, in social media posts, which is the primary mechanism for providing more information about your sponsors, Bora or Hansgrohe is digital media. It's going to be hard to replicate or match those reach numbers with us again. But as Benji said, maybe Benji, they've spent his, he had five mil, maybe they spent two and a half mil in the transfer window this year and they're going to go Carapaz or someone with the extra money at the end of this year. I don't know, but I think it's, I think Sagan is still good. And like, listen, he said he was, he like got, a, he got arrested two days before and they said he was intoxicated before he won a stage at Romandy. Like, it's incredible. So perhaps they should drink more. <laughs> perhaps, I mean, yeah, food for thought. Um, but yeah, I think, and as you said, like, we went, we went through their cobble squad or who's their sprinter for Gen Wevelhem. He's won that like three or, three or four times. He's just a natural slot leader for all those races. Like, do you think... I'll be eating my words. Do you, do you think they, they're betting that Vlasov is, is good enough to podium the tour in the next three years? Is that the bet they're making? I think that's one of the bets they're making and perhaps that's why they bet on multiple people because they're not sure if one of them is enough to make it. Perhaps they're like, okay, there's X amount of chance that this leader makes it. There's X amount of chance that this leader makes it. What if we just get all second-tier riders in the world Perhaps we've got a chance of getting a podium with one of them. <laughs> that kind of feels like their transfer season right now. Perhaps that's a replacement. But let's be honest, like, Vlasov's a young guy. And he's obviously not 20 anymore, but he's still a young guy compared to what Sagan is at when it comes to age. And if we look at Higita, same story, also not the oldest guy. So I think they're more securing the next five years than what Sagan would be the next two-ish years of getting results, you know? Yeah, I know what you mean. but. Yeah, I also feel like there's higher quality GC riders to be signed in the next coming yep. years, like a Carapaz. Um, but Benji's right. When you look at Peter Sagan's PCS ranking, for example, per season, it's trending in the wrong direction. 2018 second, 2019 10th, 2020 17th, 2021 34th. That's not the right direction you want to see it going. And he's 32 years old, just turned 32. But I would argue. He's had COVID now twice. He got crashed out of the Giro when he was in very, very, sorry, got crashed out of the Tour de France on stage three effectively. He had to abandon with a knee injury later, but he was in good position on stage three. And then that affected him in later sprints where he still came top five twice in the coming days. That's affected his season. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how he goes on Total. I think Sagan's not done. I think two years is the right amount for Total. And maybe Bora just didn't want to match the money. I'm not sure. Uh, but there was the Froome exposure deal. And I think people might respond to me talking about, oh, he's got this many social media followers, saying, well, Froome has a lot of social media followers. But you yourself say that that's not worth that much. I don't, Sagan's not that bad. He's still relevant in races. He's still yeah. top five, G1 in monuments, 15th at RVV. 
he's still winning races. And so that's why I think if he's if you're just good enough to there and you're a superstar, I think it's worth it to pay the money. Okay, Benji, we know in reality who they're sending to the Giro. Uh, we've already said they're cobbled squad, so I'll ask, what do you think their results will be in cobbled races? Do you see them winning any of RVV, Genvevelheim, E3, Kerner, Omloop uh, type races? No, I don't, but it wouldn't surprise me if the likes of Jordi Meus gets a podium in, a, in an Omloop or in a Kuhn or something like that. Agree. In like... Like last year, we had a sprint at the end of Omlop. If some similar scenario happens, which doesn't happen often, then a podium for Jordi Meus is possible. So I'd like to see that. And I, I honestly just want to see a rider like that grow throughout the cobble season as well. But I don't see Paulet winning a cobble race. I see Holler being very attractive to, as a rider to see on the road, attractive attacks and so forth. But I don't see him getting the results. One man we haven't mentioned, talking about now that Ardennes squad, we haven't mentioned him once, Maximilian Schachmann, probably their yeah. biggest German rider. Uh, after maybe if Bookman does well this year, maybe that won't be true. But he, we, you spoke about in the Women's World Tour pod, Benji, here he's like Kashanivia Doma. There's always someone a bit punchier uphill. There's always someone faster in a flat sprint and always someone who maybe is a bit more endurance. He, but, he, but he's very consistent. And I'm still is really good evidence of that where he was like to make that G1 with Peacock and Wild you've got to be pretty good, but he's never winning that sprint. Is he someone, do you think they just roll it back with him? They go Liege, Flesh, Amstel, he's leader, or is Higita they're hoping can be like a co-leader? I'd put Higita as co-leader, as backup leader, because something can always go wrong. Chagman can be riding a Lombardia and suddenly a car pulls up right ahead of him, for example, like in 2020. Yep. Then again, he's still top 10 that race, so pretty cool story, mate. But um, at the uh, start of this year, like you mentioned, yes, you're right. There's always someone better, but did get somewhat lucky that Roglic crashed on the final stage of uh, of Parinese and was able to take that victory still. But in Hill Classics, I would definitely say that Shockman should be the main leader, Higita co-leader perhaps, or yeah, a m- perhaps a more offensive leader while Shockman can try and be the follower and then be, I don't know, the problem with... Sharkman is that he's also not the, stro- the fastest in a reduced bunch or a reduced group, you know? If five people go to the line in LBL, he's likely not going to win that sprint because Bogacar has a punch, Roglic has a punch, Alaphilippe has a punch, Pulvare, meh. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I agree. I think it's it's tough to, like, even Olympics 10th and Tour de Suisse 4th and he's just a very consistent rider and he's, like, 22nd in UCI ranking because he can top 10 almost any race on the schedule and yeah. he's even a GC top five two world tour races this year and won one but yeah Shuckman probably their leader for the Ardennes and would be ex- expecting to be supported by maybe even Aliotti and a couple of course Ida Schelling kind of the breakout year Benji I would give Ida Schelling freedom in those races to just do Ida Schelling things and say don't <laughs> attack at 60ks ride yeah. for yourself a little bit you're that good I would, it's difficult, you know, because you're going to need some domestique, certainly. But on one end, I also want to offer him that because I'm pretty hyped about Edith Kaling can, uh, what Edith Kaling can do. And um, I just, he can be a free element for himself unless something happens with Shackman where he needs to fall into a domestique role. I'd put it that way. Not necessarily say you're completely free and don't need to look after Shackman. Shockman should still be leader. Otherwise, you're telling your leader that, okay, uh, 
we we trust you as leader, but not as much to give you scaling as well. <laughs> yeah, I kind of get that. And then I'll, even like Patrick Conrad, top fifteen uh, Liège a couple of times. Yeah, they got certainly. a pretty strong, pretty balanced, deep yeah. squad there. Uh, but as I said, no real like top top finisher that we can see. Although you know, Shackman probably go and go and win it. Uh, Giro, Benji, Hindley, Kelderman, and Buchmann. Do you think they podium it? I think they. Ooh, I, th- I think they do. I think they've got an option to do it with one of their riders. The problem is with who, and they've actually got like seven riders selected already for this race. It's not only Hindley, Kelderman, and, and Buchmann. They've got Kemna also in there, Aliotti, Zwihoff, and Fabro. And like, these are some pretty damn decent riders. Like, we start off with Zwihoff. Like, he's a bit of a mixed bag. He's had good climbing performances. The recent Mallorca Challenge, once again, as an example, where he was good. And then, Throughout the season last year, he was a bit average. Then Buchmann's the guy where you're like, okay, in the Giro last year, he would have perhaps top five if he didn't crash because he was looking better and better throughout the days. Then we look at Aliotti and he's like the talented guy. Youngster, likely going to be a proper domestique. I don't see him going for himself in that Giro really as well. He's just not good enough yet. He's won, I think, was it Sibiu Cycling Tour? Yes, ahead of Aru. So that was pretty sad because I wanted to see a final victory for Fabio Aru there. But next to that, Jay Hindley had a pretty bad season last year. The year before, a podium to Giro. I see Hindley as the lowest of the three, Kelderman and Buchmann, because he's just inconsistent at the moment. And there's nothing telling me at the moment that he's going to be at Giro 2020 form once again, the entire Giro this time around. Fabro's a, a weird one, you know, because the guy top five Tireno and was very strong on Pratiritivo, but the rest of the season he was a domestique and gets domestique results. So I would be looking at him for a domestique role once again. But the thing is, you've got so many leaders now, you kind of have to support them. And that makes it more difficult for a Fabro to get a stage when going in breakaways, you know, because I think he's going to be changed up. They will have the strongest domestique possible. Kamna's doing the Giro. Kamna will probably be stronger than a lot of them, I would think, in the third week climbs. One of their leaders, most likely. Ah, it's a big call to come back I and mean, go straight to GC. No, better no, than one of their leaders. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, exactly. Like when Igita was dropping Uran in the tour yeah. sort of thing. Uh, yeah. that's I, I think that sort of thing might happen. Or, or Pronsky and Vlasov, go Pronsky in the, in the Giro. <laughs> anyway, that's too much. Uh, Tour de France, as Benji said, will be Bennett plus Conrad. Uh, Bennett with his train and Perstelberger. I think, let me check if Schachmann, he's down to do it as well. So there's some punchy finishes there for Schachmann. Uh, and they'll just roll that out, and they probably will be. They'll have two strong guys in every break, and a good chance of winning a stage. Do you think Bennett? This is a question, Benji. Jakobsen with Merku, Caleb Ewan with um, uh, not a great train himself. Do you think it'll be clicking by then? Do you think Bennett takes over over under one and a half Tour de France stage wins for Bennett, Benji? According to Rolf Aldach, he said, "We believe we will have the strongest lead out in the world." So if we trust no, that sure man, he said that. He said that. Uh, it's uh, on an article of Cycling News 10 days ago. I just wanted to, <laughs> to drop that sentence in there because I found it so funny to read. I don't see it happening. Um, but um, I think that Bennett is going to get a stage win in the Tour de France. I don't think he's going to consistently win stages in the Tour de France because the sprinting competition is just... Like last year, half of the sprinters crashed out. We have to have one year where nobody crashes out. Please let it be this I'm one. I'm so sick of crashes. Before the and, season's even yeah. started. 
Yeah, exactly. And it could also be that it's a bit of a chaotic sprint because you start off with the first proper sprint stage is the one, isn't it the one over the big Danish bridge where yeah. echelons could really tear it apart? And if that happens, well, they've actually got a pretty strong team for echelons. If you have a bullet and so Definitely. forth, could be supportive a holler. I don't know if he's in the team. Like holler was a lead out for Kristoff. Why is he never mentioned as potential lead out? I'd love to see Holler back as a lead out. He was pretty good at his job. <laughs> he would be their best second last man. Holler should be the second last man and Van Poppel the last man. Like that's Holler is very, very good. And then you have Perlet and Perstelberger. Perlet is the 1600 meter man. Perstelberger is the Alaphilippe role fourth man and bring back the break. I think that sort of arrangement's not bad. According to uh, the uh, article that I just spoke about, they're mentioning that Ryan Mullen is the 1K guy. That then Archbold is the next one in row, and then Von Poppel is the final uh, man. So uh, they're choosing a different lineup than we are. Okay, I think Matthew Walls as a last man also could be really, really fucking good. <laughs> like he's yeah. fast, he's got that track seated boom. Uh, I think Matt Walls could be really good leader, but he's probably too good for that, and I uh, want yeah. him to be winning his own races. Uh, anyway, that's their tour. I'm taking the under on Bennett one and a half. Uh, Tour de France stage wins, but one win's still pretty damn good. And I think they might win, they'll win one from the break with a Conrad type thing. Uh, Vuelta, we're not sure. <laughs> Vuelta, I think their Vuelta last year, Benji, was like, I forgot they were there. Yeah. Uh, but Aguita's going. So hopefully Aguita perks up. Do you think he will top 7GC at the Vuelta? I think he, I hope he will, because I, I'm kind of a Aguita fanboy myself. Not in depth, but I like the rider and I hope that he does something. Um, but the problem is that I would have loved to see him at the Giro, so I'm kind of salty that they only sent him to the Vuelta, so why the fuck did he go to Bora if he only gets to go to the bloody Vuelta because they signed 17 second-tier GC riders? Like, I would have rather had seen him be at EF and get an opportunity at the Giro. I mean, he got the tour. Uh, the tour, he, I guess he, the deal probably would have been done before that Tour de France, which was helping around a little bit, but yeah... yeah. Well, actually, not even. He was freed. He was in the stage nine break. Yeah, yeah what was. am I talking about? Um, I don't know. I don't know. But over-unders time, Benji, they had eight World Tour wins last year. I'm going to set the over-under at. With Bennett coming back, I have to set it higher. I set the over-under at nine and a half. Okay. I think they are going to get under... Okay, okay, and I do think most of the victories are going to be Bennett when it comes to World Tour, but I think their youngsters are not at the level yet that they're gonna win World Tour races like Jordi Meus, perhaps one if he's lucky, but I just don't see it yet. And then we look at Matthew Walls at Polonia could be trying to get some victories there, or is that who who would you send to Polonia if you look at this team when it comes to their sprinter? Matt Walls is the one that comes into my mind, but wouldn't surprise me if they just sent Martin Laws instead. Probably Walls. I'd send Walls. But yeah, I'm, I'm taking you over. You know how many wins they had at World Tour level in 2019, Benji? 31. Now, there was Tour Down Under and Guangxi, three of them, but 31 is a lot. So I just think Bennett yeah. probably takes like five um, at various races and then they make up another five. So I think, they take, I think they're over nine and a half. Yeah, you're kind of right, but... I'm going to go under because I'm contrarian today. <laughs> I tricked you by withholding that statistic until you'd set your over-under. Uh, <laughs> I said they were 31 <laughs> two years ago. 
But uh, any any hot takes, many that you've got written down. My my hot take is that Leonard Chamner comes storming back, wins a Giro stage, wins another two World Tour races, yeah. and is the best German rider in the world. Okay, I'm going to just to annoy you because you didn't expect too much from him this year. Kian Brooks is going to win a stage, a race, <laughs> just any race. I don't oh, care that's which not one. Even hot. Come on. Okay, he's, he's going to win a... eleven here. <laughs> He's going to win a race above U23 level. So a pro race. So divisions including World Tour.pro or 1.1, 1.2. 1.2. No, 2.1? I don't even know the divisions anymore. <laughs> I mean, I'll, wait, I'll, let you, I'll let the audience respond okay. as to whether that, I think that's just okay. a little em, pole embers. The pole embers that have burnt out <laughs> and that maybe you can warm your hands against, but not hot. Okay. I need dot pro, a pro or above. Race I need or dot above. Or above. Okay. Well, he's not lined up for World Tour Race, so I can't yeah. say he's going to win World Tour Races, can I? Is he even lined up for, for pro races? <laughs> All right, I'll allow it. I'll allow what you originally said. Will he win okay. DC at Settimana and Lavanier? Um, Lavanier, no. I don't feel like that is ideal for a rider like him. But Settimana might actually work out. So I'm okay. curious there. Yeah, now, um, okay. Jesus, <laughs> I'm scared. Uh, I think that Edis Culling is going to win two World Tour races. Facts. Is that not hot? Facts. Okay. Well, he doesn't do that many. That's the problem. Like, he probably like win Brabrance, which we like that. And yeah. That's a really good result. And it's not even a World Tour race. Um, but I get your point. Edis Schelling, I think, wins, yeah, a couple of, a couple of big races uh, as well on this team. I think, I think the lead out will change four different times from the start to the end of the year. And will be a big point of contention. That's my. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just one to watch because leadouts are hard to get right, and even good le- leadouts that were good can, like Zerlig and Schwarzman, can not be that good uh, in the end. I I don't have a hot take necessarily about Frederick Wandal, but I believe that he's going to have a good season. I just feel it. Danish rider on the team seems to be pretty talented. Started off well as well in the Mallorca challenges last year. Not the best season ever, but I think he's going to be a step up at Bora Hansgrohe, and I'm curious what that will deliver uh, this year instead of last year. He doesn't look very good, but um, yeah, come on, maybe it's he, he was happening. 19 last year, it was 20 last year, so I'll allow it. Um, we'll see. He's very young, and uh, yeah, maybe they're basically yeah, they're kind of doing what DSM is doing, except they still have a really good team, and so I shouldn't criticize them for having. You really young guys developing them with three-year deals like Van Dahl and Belgian Remco. It's easy for me to say. I'm too embarrassed to say his name now. Benji, correct me. Before we sign off, that was our review of our preview of Bora Hansgrohe. A bit of a, <laughs> bit of a loose mood today. We need to tighten this up, Benji. Uh, we'll go now into our interview <laughs> with Matt Walls, who are both pretty high on for this year in his second year at World Tour level as probably a, a lead sprinter in the dot pro sort of races for Bora Hounds. Got a really interesting interview and let us know if you enjoyed it. Welcome to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. Matt Walls, Olympic gold medalist and the silver medal at Tokyo. More importantly for this road cycling podcast, two dot pro wins in 2021 at Norway and Piemonte in his Neo Pro year. What is your plan this year or the team's plan in conjunction with the team? Are you going to focus on sort of what Viviani used to do um, with like maybe Ken Vavelhem, but then stage races? 
Is he a similar rider or more classics? What's what's the plan? Uh, yeah. Uh, so basically, I kick off with uh, the last stage of Mallorca Challenge, uh, followed by uh, Valencia, uh, and then yeah, I got a few few races in Belgium. Uh, got an opening weekend and yeah, a few there. So it'd be nice to get involved there. And then uh, yeah, I got a few few stage races uh, throughout the year and. And hopefully, uh, hopefully do the Vuelta as well. Oh, okay, cool. And will you be? Do you think the sprinter at the Vuelta because Bennett's doing the tour? Is that how you understand it will be? Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, I don't really know actually, but uh, yeah, it's a long way. Yeah, away. hopefully, hopefully I will be. But uh, yeah, there's a long way to. <laughs> there's a long <laughs> season to go yet. So. Yeah, and when I said Viviani, do you agree that's a, a similar comparison or not really? He obviously a track guy. You literally competed against him at Tokyo and then mm. found a lot of success in sort of, I don't know, six, 15 through 18, 19 before he went to Cofidis. Yeah. Is that the sort of rider you hope to develop into or even better? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, to be honest, at the minute, I'm, I'm not really sure how I'm going to develop. Uh, if it's going to be, yeah, on some of the slightly hillier stage races, uh, that's still kind of finishing a bit of a bunch sprint uh, or reduced group sprint, uh, at least, or, or yeah, some, some like classics, uh, and kind of races, but yeah, I'm still trying to determine where, where I kind of fit in and where I'm going to, where I'm going to go throughout my career and how I'm going to develop. Yeah, because that Norway stage, the one you won, uh, the Stavanger one, it had like a 500-meter kicker oh, yeah. relatively close to the end. But then you mm. you opened that up early. Were you thinking, I've gone too early here? That was against the likes of Pedersen and co who were quick. Yeah. Uh, well, to be honest, I was I was basically just on Niels for like the last, the last 2K. Uh, and yeah, I was kind of waiting for for something to happen and yeah it wasn't nothing was really happening so uh yeah i just thought oh well i kind of have to go now otherwise yeah if they do come come around then yeah they're gonna have like the jump on me so yeah i just kind of need to go and uh and yeah basically that's what i did i know it's a pretty impressive long sprint particularly with the likes of of those guys there and do you with then Piemonte? I don't know, was Piemonte the one with the huge crash? Was there a big crash in the last? Um, I can't remember. Was it, it was Nizzolo was your main competition? And yeah, I think I, there was a crash, uh, on like the last corner because it kind of like squeezed together yeah. at a roundabout and then come off, but uh, yeah. And so this year, I don't know, have you you've got Mallorca coming up, and then is your are the stage races you mentioned you're doing more likely to be world tour or still those sort of dot pro ones like a Norway or a Deutschland tour? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think it's going to be a bit of a mixture. Uh, okay. Yeah. As I'm still trying to, yeah, I think it's quite good to get a bit of a mix for now and, and see how it goes. Cause obviously last year I was, I missed out on quite a few of the, the races in Belgium after getting COVID. Uh, okay. I was meant to have like a pretty decent block of racing there, which I which I never got. Uh, and then yeah, obviously I was out for the games for a little bit. And so yeah, I think it'd be good to get a bit of a range of, of different races and 
different terrain as well and, and just see see how I cope. That's what I wanted to ask is how compatible is the Olympics? Like how much does it disrupt your season? Is it less than people think, particularly for like the Madison um, or the Omnium? And it's just a particular COVID obviously there's probably a bit of extra time with quarantine, et cetera, but is it actually something you can slot in pretty easily with, especially as you're a sprinter anyway? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. Especially from, from my side, I only did the, the Omnium Madison. I didn't do the team pursuit. Uh, so for me to get myself in the best shape for that, it was basically just a uh, road training in the lead up to it. Oh, okay. Uh, with like, yeah, like a few weeks ago, dropping in, doing bits and pieces and, and obviously like doing little bits and pieces throughout the year. But yeah, but yeah it was mainly mainly road racing and road training come into it. Uh, and yeah, I turned it around pretty quick to get my track legs back from doing all the road racing. Uh, but then I also swapped over pretty quick from, from the Olympics straight into Norway, which was, what, two weeks later, I think. Uh, even even so that less. Was like, yeah, so that was a pretty like quick change around, and I managed to find my legs pretty well. So I think it's quite interchangeable now, uh, just with how how uh, yeah the racing is now, and you kind of see that from the road pros that are coming and doing like the Omnium and the Madison, and, and yeah. Do you think you'll be doing Paris twenty twenty four or is it twenty twenty three twenty twenty four? They're all the years are out of whack. Twenty four. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I hope so. Uh, I think, yeah, with uh, with Bora now, they're they're pretty happy for me for me to do little bits and pieces of track okay. uh, throughout the year. So definitely like keep keep my toe in and uh, and do little be- little bits and pieces and and yeah, hopefully for Paris as well. Uh, it'd be be nice to see when uh, what the road course is there as well because maybe try and do road and track, but <laughs> we'll have to see. Well, no, that's a good point you make. Like, it's if it's in Paris and around there, it can only have so many hills in it. And even yeah. a little bit of hills is kind of nice for you. And the man I'm about to bring up are a couple of people, Hater, Pitcock, mm-hmm. Vernon, all yeah. you guys are around the young 20s. A lot of you very quick and punchy. Like, you know, now you mention it, it's really got my brain ticking that, yeah, England, oh, not England, Britain would be, a pretty good chance in on that sort of park. Well, what about Australia though? I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you've looked at it. That's got a lot of climbing. Do you reckon that's yeah, is that too much for you right now? Uh, I think so. I haven't had like a, a proper deep look into it yet, but from what I've seen and what I've been told, it seems like it's quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if I was going to go like now this second, then yeah, it'd probably be too much, but. <laughs> I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. See how the season plays out, and yeah, see how much I develop throughout the year, and getting more racing under my belt. I'm still salty about Worlds course. I thought we were going to home cook it for Caleb, and I yeah. couldn't believe what I saw. I was like, <laughs> "What? What is this?" I, I wanted zero yeah, I meters kind of elevation. That as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, last question before I let you go. I know you got a race coming up. Yeah. Probably controversial. Yeah. I mentioned it before. We started recording. Yeah. There's now two Ethans in World Tour. Who is the quickest mm-hmm. out of you three, Vernon, you, and Hater? If uh, 15 is just a pure road sprint, pure road sprint, not uphill, because Ethan's 
pretty good punch uphill. Pure yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'd probably say it's purely off power. Uh, probably Vernon. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see. And hopefully we get a race. All three of us are at and we're all going for the sprint and, and we can, uh, yeah, get the result of that. Maybe you'll lock out, lock out Omelope or Kerner, one, two, three, and there's Stewart as well. There's Askey, a lot of classic yeah. stars going through. I'd, I'd give it to you right now. Um, I'll put that <laughs> oh, on thanks. the record. I think you're quicker. At, yeah. <laughs> Piemonte, Norway, I know Hater won GC into, into a Britain stage, but yeah, I think Pure Rose Brent, mm-hmm. you're a bit quicker. Uh, but Vernon yeah. remains to be seen. Quick step, don't sign people for no reason. But anyway, yeah, thanks true. for joining the Lantern Roof Cycle Podcast. Uh, Matt, hope you have a good season ahead, already good Neo Pro season, and, and best of luck with particularly the Vuelta, where I think you'll get some good chances. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Bora Hounsgrove podcast, and thanks for Matt to making the time for that interview. Uh, best of luck to him for the rest of the season, and we have upcoming the Yumbo EF Bahrain UAE previews before the season kicks off in earnest, as well as I have Saudi Tour rights. And I'll be doing highlights of them. And Benji and I will be doing, of course, Valenciana. We have a change to scheduling this year. When the good riders go, we will go to Valenciana. We will be covering on the podcast with daily recaps. So stay tuned for that. And we'll see you in the next one. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 